Knowledge Transfer, the podcast where we discuss interesting news, ideas, and content to stimulate that intellect and give you something to think about. I'm your host, James Donovan, and for today's show, I'm joined by my longtime friend and magic innovator, Aaron Reese. Aaron has made a name for himself developing some of the most innovative decks seen in the Magic the Gathering competitive space. His love for the outside-the-box thinking extends well beyond card games to his life philosophy and outlook on human progress. Today we'll delve into the, his process and thoughts about thinking out of the box and how it can be applied to daily life. So, Aaron, thanks for coming on the cast. Thanks for having me, James. It's been a long time. I'm glad to be hanging out again. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. I'm you know I'm hoping uh, the Hawaii weather is treating you well. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to dive right into it here. Um, we'll start with Magic because that's kind of how we know each other. I think like if, if anyone has any previous knowledge of who you are and you know what you've you've done in in your uh, exciting life they would definitely know you for your contributions to the modern format of magic the gathering you've you've made some very cool very outside the box uh decks and i think you know that's that's kind of where we want to start so i'm curious how did you first get into magic you know what was the the appeal there I first started like collecting cards and being interested in them when I was really young, like revised was me. And uh, I went to like summer camp and it became very clear to me that I needed magic cards when I came home. It was back like revised. Maybe they had, there was like, maybe there were some like fallen empires or ice age that, that it was around that time. And it occurred to me that some cards were better with other cards than other cards were better with other cards. Some cards, and even though they don't say it, some cards actually have synergy with other cards, and this is never mentioned. It's never. It's not made explicit by uh, Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro or, or really anyone. It's not, it doesn't say it on the pack. It's not. It's it's, o- it's only in in us essentially. But it, it, it and it is a hundred percent the case that some cards play well with others, and other cards don't. It was in the language, which I was already very interested in. So there's just words like whenever or each. And there were these words that some that had synergy with other cards. And everyone kind of knew about it. And, and that began an interest in magic that was very deep and really uh, resonated with me. So it's this like unspoken potential of cars to synergize, and it's the dis- discovering of these these hidden synergies that really drew you to uh, to magic. Is that is that what I'm hearing? It was the nature of not everything that was about the card was actually written there. There is a lot of text, and it told you. I mean, everything was it, essentially it was telling you everything it could. And magic hasn't, for everything that's changed since uh, revised, it hasn't changed this. Um, it tells you the type of card. It tells you where the card's from. It tells you what the card does and how to play it. It doesn't tell you how to put it in your deck. It doesn't tell you what other cards to put in your deck with it. And, it, and that emptiness, that lack, is more obvious and a, and a draw in some cards than others and my ability to see that or my was where my interest was and i i i was always even at like a like a young age i was very like hey you know you could put that one with that one <laughs> and 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 it never said it on the card but it, it always meant it it was always there to be discovered there is more magic so to speak to be discovered in the cards than was made explicit and so I think this is very indicative of the decks that you brewed, obviously. Like, so this is where your interest came from. And that, to me, kind of shows out, you know, in these decks. Um, so why don't you talk about it? Because I feel like there's two, like, iconic ones, right? There's, like, Goryeo's Vengeance, and then there's Death Shadow. So why don't you, why don't you talk about those for us? And keep in mind that not everybody uh, understands magic terminology. So try to keep it kind of, like, basic. And, you know, if there's anything you need to explain, like, you know, feel free to elaborate. I'll, let me know if I need to do that. Okay. Uh, blow past something. <laughs> so in Gloria's Vengeance, when I was setting this up, um, I wasn't really seeking to 
to make a Gorius Vengeance or, or an Emrakul deck or, or to harmonize those cards, actually. Um, I was looking for, as I often do, one and two mana instants that I hadn't given enough attention to because I like playing cards that don't cost a lot of mana because I think the, the most uh, frustrating... The most frustrating part of the game is when you um, don't have a lot of resources and you want them. So my goal when I was making Gorio's Vengeance was primarily how not it wasn't how do I get Emrakul or how do I um, how do I have this powerful effect and it wasn't how do I s- sneak something in. It was it was a deeper premise which was magic itself has inherently a flaw in it that is mana screw or you know a lack of resources you, you can randomly get like crit essentially by a lack of resources just by the nature of drawing cards and the randomness of, of the deck and a way to mitigate this is to not need a lot of resources and the less you need the less you'll want and that just that was the premise of this deck, having no idea what might go in it. So I was searching for cards that required um, you know, just one, one and two resources so that I could not need that money, not want that many, and not play that many and open up more cards in my deck. So I wasn't even thinking about specific cards. I was thinking about these concepts of like, a uh, few lands. It was it was about resource management. I had read Gorio's Vengeance, and I thought like, what an, an unusual like, what an, a completely unusual card. And it, and it really just something about Gorio's Vengeance said to me, oh man, like I wish I could do this with like the new Eldrazi had been out for maybe like I don't know, or at, at that point El- Emrakul was new this big monster card or whatever. And um, that being new, it was new-ish, maybe only in the past you know year or two. It, it occurred to me that, like, boy, you know, it's too bad that Emrakul, you know, when it goes into the graveyard, it shuffles into your library. You can't really utilize it. Like, that would be so powerful. And then and I just I kept thinking, well, gosh, well, what else could I do? with uh, Gorio's Vengeance. And I looked around at like a couple other things. I, I actually found some really good options that I never re- that never made it to print. And uh, I tested it uh, every once in a while. And one of the first things I like to do when I feel like I'm going in the right direction is like branch out and, and tell you Bobby Victory or, you know, some people like, hey, I, I'm working with this. What do you know about this? And kind of just like, because I don't really have like a data storage for like what everyone knows or what everyone else is thinking. I like to like kind of offload that. <laughs> I store that in my friends. It's like, Hey, can you tell me what everyone else thinks of this? Because I don't want to keep that in my head. So, so like, I, you know, that's, and that's what friends are for. I, I, I'm, yeah. Some people are just better at that. You know, and if you have, if you're connected to those people, then yeah, you don't have to do that work yourself. It's good networking. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I using my, I like to use like networking skills to give me like, some baseline of reality and what reality thinks about these things. And someone just told me like, Oh, well, yeah, you actually could use that with Emrakul, but it, and I was like, no, no, no. Cause Emrakul shuffles. And so that, and then they told me, well, that goes on the stack that Emrakul's ability. You can respond to that, but like you wouldn't, but when is Emrakul going to go in your graveyard? What are you going to, you going to sacrifice your Emrakul? I mean, if you're playing Emrakul, man, like, like, you know, just just play Emrakul. And then I got that response like like three or four times. It's like, well, how are you going to get Emrakul in your graveyard? What, are you going to make yourself discard? I mean, that's that's silly. And I and I, and I, I was like, so I was, okay, thanks, guys. And I was like, that's not silly at all. That's genius. And I am going to make myself discard, as it turns out. And like, I'm not, not going to play like one with nothing, and as was mocked upon me, but like, uh, faithless looting is like <laughs> faithless looting to me one of the best cards in Magic. So, so and faithless, for those of you who don't know, faithless looting was what like it was uh, it was like 
Yeah, draw two, discard two, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, draw, uh, draw two cards, then discard two cards. So, and it's only one mana. And, and then it also has flashback, so you could pay three, two, and a red, and, and then cast that card from your graveyard to get its effect. So it was card disadvantage, which at the time was not like a very sexy idea. Um, but what was really beautiful was like you could just spend that one mana. This is a one mana spell that lets you look at two new pieces of information and then look at your entire hand of information, select from those things what you want. You could even not have Emrakul in your hand. You could just add three mana, draw, uh, pay, you know, play Faithless Looting, draw two cards, have one of those two cards be Emrakul, then discard your Emrakul and respond to the trigger with Gorya's Vengeance. And when Emrakul attacks, it's very bad for your opponent. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, so that it just became on turn. It just was, and that the potential of that, like I doubted it. I talked to the, um, I thought it was too good to be true. I went to the, and it was essentially. I, I spoke to the um, uh, the oracles on Moto because they do really know the rules, even though Moto's kind of a joke. But I, uh, they they told me about the interaction. I, I loaded up a match with all those cards in it, and I was like, oh my god, this works. From those three cards began like a very serious um, re like return to premise, which was okay. How do I discard Emrakul cheaply? How do I draw cards cheap? And and Gorya's Vengeance is an instant. And as I was like discovering like um, Lightning Axe, which normally has this huge downside of. Well, you have to discard a card if you want to not pay six for this. If you want to pay one, you have to discard. Well, I'll, you know, destroy your creature, discard my Emrakul, and then, you know, have it. Like, for that's not a disadvantage. That's a huge advantage. Like, Lightning Axe became this, like, this miracle. It was something that, it was something that it always could have been. And then through, then through the process of seeing it as, I needed it to be. It, it it realized it actually became that. Like, you know, if you and surely everyone who looks at Lightning Axe says, "Oh, if I have a card with Madness, or if I have a card with X," but it, it's not just about a card with. It, it's not just about the text of the card. It, it there are just <laughs> the Lightning Axe doesn't scream to you, Emrakul. Like those cards have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, it's like the the lens through which you're now looking at all these cards is just drastically shifted because your pri- your priorities of what you're trying to accomplish are very different. And I think what what you did is you it seemed to me like you you kind of struck upon this this very unique interaction, and you're like, okay, like what else does this? And no one else is asking that question, right? You're asking these very unique questions that are taking you down these very different paths, and then where you end up is just this completely different landscape. This this totally different deck that you know no one else has any you know experience you know playing against or knows what it does. I mean, I think that was one of the more interesting things for me. Um, so why don't you talk to us just a little bit about um, what it was like playing this brew? Yeah, absolutely. So having asked those questions and discovered like more interactions, and that I can actually do this at the end of my opponent's turn and, and keep Emmer cool on my turn and all of those things. Um, one of the things that most stood out in tournaments, um, and, you know, round one, two, three, if I was in the top eight of a PTQ, whatever, that this deck drew a crowd because those questions that I was asking that no one else was asking, that the way that I had seen this deck come together, that other, no one else was doing that. No one, like people knew about this interaction even. Not, I didn't know other people knew about it, but like other people had even come to this interaction and not gotten anywhere near where I was with the deck. Like there was like a green version of this deck, and it was really, really bad. It was like a joke deck. Given that I had already done all of this, like all of this question asking, all of this research, all of this study, and I got into and practice, I had gotten to a point where it was just second nature to me. In fact, I was. I was comfortable. It was a space. It was a, 
it was it was a territory that I had discovered. And when I would play an opponent with that deck, they were thinking that they were like it's it, it, they were like the look on the face of my opponents when I first started doing this to people was as if they had opened a door the, the front door to like the post office and then as soon as they look inside they're in a forest and they're like wow that's not how this normally goes when they're lost it's not like they've never been in a forest before but they're expecting the post office and they have no idea what may be in this place and i am there i live there that's my that's my spot i i i know like i know where the local places to eat are i know like i'm very comfortable i have a hammock up you know i'm comfortable in that area and they are like i've never been here and everything is new to me and and when you play magic and when you live life like we can do that. We have a um, we have radical access to to that exact thing. No, I think that's really interesting. I've you know I've heard uh, people talk about this idea that like in your life it's you're constantly in this middle ground between what you know and what you don't know, right? And like you want to have one foot in the area of like what you do know, so that you feel grounded and, and, you know, comfortable at the same time you want to have this foot reaching out and learning new things. And so I think like you, you're, you're absolutely right. And like magic, a lot of people have kind of, they figured out the meta, they know, you know, what to expect and maybe, you know, little things happen that they don't expect. And that's the new stuff that they're figuring out. That's what makes the game interesting and exciting. But for the most part, like you're making decisions off things like you understand like how things interact and like what you basically did was, yeah, like you say, you're like taking them to this faraway forest that they have, they have no, you know, preconceived understanding of, of what should be happening. And that gets to work to your advantage because now they're not like, Oh, I need to play around this or I need to yeah. expect that. Or like, you know, is this a good place for me to leave up a counter spell? Is it, or like, you know, like, can I tap out when he has three mana up at the end of my turn? You know, it's, and it's like, yeah, if you if you knew how the deck works, you you definitely wouldn't do that. But you know, if you don't know what the deck does, then it's it's a much harder decision. And Death Shadow takes that to the next level because yes, what you just said, perfect. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about next. So Death, Death Shadow. Shadow. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm reading your mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Death Shadow takes exactly what you just said to the next level because it not only did it do that in a far more radical fashion. It also anticipated and accounted for the opponent's complete decoherence. <laughs> like you're, it, it knew that Desh, while Goyo's Vengeance was unusual and it was refined, and I did a, most of my, I, I did all my top eighting with that deck. I did all of my, like, every, my real acclaim came from playing that deck, and I wish I was better rested for those events and you know i would have done a lot better but um but any, anything i've ever actually accomplished was with Gorio's vengeance and it was unusual and it did do that thing and what it didn't do though was or what i didn't not it didn't do what i didn't do with it was build into the system into the deck a way to account for oh my opponent's not going to be familiar with the type of thing he's seeing um and death shadow did that in a way that was really tremendous and it even got the attention of LSV and like, because it was, it was so, um, which I very honored for. So LSV is a, is a big name in the magic community for sure. And then, so uh, before you go too far on this, so can you, can you explain a little bit about what death shadow, like how the deck works? Right. So death shadow was a deck where, um, Again, the premise, one and two mana instance. Um, I, I stumbled upon the card, Spoils of the Vault, one mana instant, and I thought like, oh, wow, you know, if I name a card that I'm only playing like three of, I can deal with myself a lot of damage. Do I ever want to start the game very low? And like, <laughs> and that was like, like I, who, I don't think a lot of people ask that question. 
And because <laughs> why typically you don't want to start the game very low. And then I started like I did the math of like what I could expect to take from like a four of in my deck and if I mulligan and all this stuff. Uh, but anyways, the, the premise of that deck was um, start with instants and sorceries that cost and creatures that cost very low mana and then uh, work from there. From there, I started figuring out the idea of like, uh, just like, hey, could it be good to discard? W- was, hey, could it be good to have low life? And once you once I started like looking in that way, a lot of things made themselves very obvious to me. Uh, so spoils of the vault, like, you know, you could spoils on the end of their first turn, and then on my turn, I would be at like 10 or 7 or something like that. The math, I, I think, actually put me to 8. And for a four of Death Shadow in the deck, none in the hand. And um, and that's like a one mana five five. Death Shadow became this, like, it gets better, essentially, for how the lower your life is, the more powerful the creature is. Uh, at first, that's all it really seemed like to me. The premise was, okay, well, all I really need is this, just to get my life extremely low, I'll play, I'll play cards I love, like Knight's Whisper and... <laughs> and kind of stuff like that, and I'll just I'll 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 get my life really low and play big death shadows. I'll five fives, eight eights, huge creatures on turn two and three, and who's going to compete with that? So I I tried that out, and it became became very clear that I needed um a balancing to that because people have lightning, people have ways of handling low life opponents very early on, so. It, it moved from just black to, well, now, like, let me look at the white cards. And instead of letting me look at, like, just lowering my life, are there cheap uh, instants or sorceries that actually preserve my life when I'm very low? And as it turned out, there were cards with Fate Flower. If you have five or less life, you get an extra bonus to the card, and the card normally is very cheap. So uh, there were cards in that range that became, like, some of the best cards in the deck. Um, Angel's Grace had split second, which is just a great type of card. And all these things started presenting themselves. So then when I had, when I was there, when I had um, a way to like drastically lower my life, something that was useful there and something that drastically saved my life, like a a radical saving of a life, which is uh, Angel's Grace, a card that says you can't lose the game this turn and it can't be countered or... just when you play it, it just happens. Um, and other cards like that uh, came together. And when I saw that synergy, I thought, whoa, we're really doing something here. And then I got, I, got, I refined, instead of Night's Whisper, I found uh, Plunge into Darkness, which is actually what LSV named his article uh, on the deck after. Uh, Cavern of Souls was a way to make sure that your Death Shadow couldn't get countered. And I was only playing one creature, and Death Shadow happens to be an avatar. And while looking again and again at ways to survive at low life, I saw Avatar of Hope, which normally is an eight-mana spell, but you can play it for two if you have uh, three or less life. And I often did have three or less life. So a two-mana giant monster, another one like this in my deck, was excellent. Meanwhile, it, was, it also happens to be an avatar. So... <laughs> the same land that I was using to let my Death Shadow be uncounterable, I could actually use for my Avatar of Hope. I'm pretty sure, like, no one had ever... Why would anyone even think of that before? I was led there. It was a discovering. After the deck was essentially built, though, when I was actually playing it, even in playing it, there was further discovery. The moment where things really clicked were was when I was streaming, and... I had this really great idea <laughs> to, um, oh man, too bad I can't, my, my Death Shadow had gone unblocked and it was like a 5-5 five, five or something. And I said, oh, too bad I can't spoil the vault, revealing my entire deck, you know, or not revealing my entire deck, I wasn't even there. Just revealing like a ton of cards, making my Death Shadow like a 20-20 and then, you know, just kill him. But I would lose so much life probably, I can't really risk it. And then I was already playing Angel's Grace. Someone in my chat said, hey, you know, if you played Angel's Grace first and then you played Spoils of the Vault, you could survive that interaction. And I thought, whoa, 
I could name a card like so that I'm only playing like two of. <laughs> and, and then I, and it occurred to me, oh, I could name a card that I'm not playing. <laughs> and, That's awesome. And, and it became this this hilarity. It became this like it was it was always there. I was I was already playing a better deck, and I just needed to see it better. I just needed to look at it in a way like just see the the connections that were all that I had already created. I just needed to see those ones um, better. And that's a huge part of life. That's, that's, that's everything. And, and we can do that with our friends and we can do that with, uh, with nature and we can do that with the, the chairs that we're sitting on now and, and the, just the structure of ourselves in the world. To see it better is, is so beautiful. It can be so beautiful. To me, that's really what strikes me is you did a really great job of utilizing your social network to kind of get other people's different opinions and other people seeing things from from different angles. Uh, this guy in your you know chat making this comment or someone you know, telling you, oh, you know, you can cast Goryeo's Vengeance on Emmercruel where you didn't necessarily under you know see that interaction. You know, I think that one of the thing big things that I said is people who who make big innovations in industries often come from outside that industry. So it's these little insights of people not looking at it in the conventional ways that allow for these really cool outside of the box innovations. But then I also think, you know, a big part, like you say, is using the tools that you have in different ways and kind of playing around with it. So you encounter different situations and that you're innovating. So um, the, when when I the purpose of naming a card not in your deck just to say explicitly in case because people aren't um, all magic players if you name a card not in your deck you you as Swirls of the Vault resolves your entire deck gets <laughs> exiled and you go into a negative life total you're saved because you're under Angel's Grace the Death Shadow it starts as a thirteen thirteen and it gets negative x equal to your life total so if your life total is low it actually gets bigger to what it normally would be. What happens when you actually have negative life, it gets, you know, the negatives cancel out and you get, it gets positive X. So it starts as a 13, 13, you can make it like a 44, 44, which is just ungodly huge, especially given how early this can all happen. And uh, I don't think that that had ever happened in magic before to make, uh, to use that part of the game essentially against itself. This wasn't even like, this uh, this is something that can't even happen in Magic anymore. But at the time, it really it was the case that you can drop yourself to negative life totals, and that would be relevant in some of these cases. That was a it wasn't just an out there thought for like a deck or modern. It was something about Magic that had become unhinged. Like something, it was a it was a weirding of, of Magic, the rules of Magic itself not even of a certain deck or a certain card or a certain format. <laughs> the train had gone off the rails in a very significant way with that realization. You know, the next thing I wanted to talk about was Magic the Gathering Arena. This is the new version of Magic that just came out online. And, you know, you've been brewing decks to kind of take advantage of the, the outside-of-the-box corner case stuff there. Why don't you share with us a little bit about what you're working on there? Yeah, so um, in Magic Arena now, there is another unusual thing brought to Magic. In, in Paper Magic, when people go and play in, in tournament matches, it's timed, and that's with good reason. <laughs> so you can't just be there playing Magic for seven hours like all the other matches everyone else is waiting for you. So they put this this clock as part of part of the game. It's part of Magic. It's not part of the format it's not part of the cards it's not part of it's part of the actual game so in the in magic arena there's a client that does something that well it's not that what it does do it's rather what it doesn't do there's no clock there's just no clock i could play a 12 hour single game of magic if i really wanted to i, I don't know why anyone would want that but like it, it will uh, it will allow a whole other series of things, uh, given that there's no clock. 
just to run down, how do you win magic? You or your opponent can no longer draw cards. You or your opponent lose all their life. How else do you win a game of magic? Uh, well, some cards say you win the game on them. Some cards say your opponent loses the game on them. Other than that, that's pretty much how you play the game. In Magic Arena, there's actually a whole other way to play Magic, and it's because there's no clock. If in Magic Arena I were to have a deck that couldn't make my opponent lose any life and couldn't make my opponent have to you know, not be unable to draw, you without a clock, I could just run out my clock or run out on my clock, which is the clock of like life. Like just like people are getting hungry, you know. Like I, and you could just play again and again and again. Make your turns last. Is there a way to do this? Is there a way to abuse a lack of a clock? There is. Um, I'm looking at the card right now, so I have the name up. Uh, Nexus of Fate. It's an instant seven mana from M19. It says take an extra turn if Nexus of Fate would be put into a graveyard from anywhere. Anywhere is one of those words like whenever and each. It's this, like, very inclusive... It includes things even more than than what, like... It's, when, when you see one of these words, each, whenever, anywhere, it's not just talking about... Cards like this typically are not just talking about other cards, or they're talking about, like, other ideas. So th- that was a pretty big tip-off. But anyways, the um, it says, when it goes into a graveyard from anywhere, reveal Nexus of Fate and shuffle it into, your owner's, into its owner's library. So if this is the last card in your library or your library is empty and then you play this, then it becomes the top card of your library. Well, you just took an extra turn. So what are you going to draw? Oh, heck, I drew this card again. Well, I can play it. Well, I can draw it and I can play it. And I can play and draw Nexus of Fate and pass my turn and, oh, a thousand times in a row if I want. Meanwhile, my opponent hasn't done anything in about a week, right? If I, if you know, if the only thing, the new way to win that, that uh, reveals itself that was always there is your opponent can concede. Like, okay, fine, that's a neat way to, okay, you make your opponent concede, and maybe after an hour he'll do it, or maybe some people will do it after a minute, they'll just kind of get it. But what does that really give you? Because every deck has a win condition. Why is that one so valuable? Well, when you don't have to win by attacking your opponent, you don't need creatures. When you don't have to win by making, so, so your opponent doesn't draw themselves out, you don't need mill cards. You don't need, like, it's not what you what you get. It's actually what you, in terms of resources, what you no longer require when you make your system, when you make your deck. So the world that your opponent is about to walk into is like a zoo inside a Starbucks. It's like <laughs> it's like they open the door, they peel back the curtain, they reveal, oh my god, I have no idea what's going on here. And and it's a person whose deck has nothing to do with magic as they know it. It's a person whose deck has everything to do with magic as they themselves see it. So that is unfamiliar territory for your opponent. And if we come into the game, we can make that very familiar. Um, We can be ready for that in a way that they essentially can't be ready for that. It's a huge advantage. Oh yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's like by freeing yourself of these other burdens of requirement for a deck right like in order to fight your opponent's other creatures like if you're trying to win you have to have creatures like you said and you've, you've got to if you're trying to mill them out you have to have mill cards and so you like you have all these like kind of obligations your deck needs to fill but if you're like oh look i just need to make the game go forever it's like all right we've well i, I can do that with this one card and then i can just build the rest of my deck around that and like once i hit that win condition i just win and my, my goal is solely to hit that win condition. It doesn't matter what my opponent's doing. It doesn't matter how many creatures they have on the board when this happens. Like, I don't need to play against, like, certain cards. Once I got it, I got it, and they're locked, right? Like, it's, it's been interesting to see your career of, you know, outside the, the box thinking and how you're kind of like, you, you stumbled upon this other way of looking at, you know, this, this new iteration of the game, and you're able to kind of take advantage of that. So... Now, I mean, we talked a little bit about how some of these ideas can can be applied into everyday life. Mm. 
So, so now I kind of want to get into our, our more meta discussions of, you know, how, how do you think you came upon this skill? Like, you know, obviously this is what attracted you to magic. Is this, is, do you think this was something that you were just like, this is the thing that I find really interesting about magic. And then th- that's just how you've, the way that you've looked at magic and what you've gone after. And it's just, or do you think this is something that is unique to you? Like you're just really good at it and therefore you're, you're playing to your strengths or, you know, so is this how you see the world or is this something that you've kind of discovered? Inevitably, those are the same. I think the chicken is the egg. Definitely, this is in magic. This, it's also in everything, though, because the world is this kind of like, please interpret me. Like, you know, you tell me what this is and what this does. And I've always been very fascinated by why it might be that things are, you know, we just as we all go around in our world and we you know, drink our Starbucks or whatever, like the ostensibly the world is this very well-defined, like, Oh, that's over there. And I got to go to work and then I got to go pick up the kids from school. I don't have kids, but you know what I mean? Like you gotta, you yeah, everyone has their routines. Everyone has like, we're thrown into a world that is ostensibly established, refined, uh, like clear where this leaves magic. I, I, I think, uh, for me is in in Death Shadow playing that deck and having it be so unusual, having it be so confusing and like like I've never seen this before. People would always call a judge on every game, not just every if the deck was functioning at all, people would call a judge on me at least once per game. Not just per match, per game. So you're so as you enter this event, <laughs> like everyone in the tournament, you know, there's a hundred people in a room. It's like not a very big room. Everyone's kind of looking at each other. Everyone's looking around. It's very obvious when you hear the same sound of judge, like every, everyone's calling judge in the tournament. But like when it's always that same voice loudly exclaiming for the judge, every game, it's like, well, what is this guy doing? And then eventually you end up as the opponent of that guy potentially. And you're like, someone must. And like you're... <laughs> The person is like, what, how, okay, he's always getting the judge called on him. He's never been penalized. What the heck am I about to walk into? People have a sense that they're about to like open up the Starbucks and see uh, an ocean or something. And like on their part, they're, you know, they're not on very sound footing and that's probably an advantage. But the, the part that's, that is outside of the game and the part that I think very interesting is that we can walk around knowing that we actually are on good terms, we can manufacture this confidence for ourselves of like, I'm very familiar with what I'm doing. I think what I'm doing is right. I'm comfortable in my surroundings. I'm wearing my pajamas right now. I'm I'm home now, but I, I own six pairs of the same pajamas and uh, that's those are the pants that I own. So like I, I can generate, comfort for myself and walk around in the world with it. I can play a magic card deck that makes me not just feel, but essentially be a person who, Hey, I'm the only person who understands my deck or what I'm doing. I don't need to think about what anyone else is thinking. Cause they don't know this. Like I do. I'm the expert. So just, it's very valuable to just uh, approach a magic tournament. Like you are an expert, especially when that's actually the truth. You know, you can make that true and then you can feel that really good feeling that I think we all want, which is I am an expert at what I'm doing or I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. I, I think the world is so hungry for this right now. And, it, and you play better magic when you, when you feel those things. And I, I think that you play a better life. I play a better life when I feel those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the devil's advocate in me is also going to say like, hey, look, like, as much as you are trying to find these corner case scenarios and, and, and play outside like the normal defines of how the, you know, the meta, the meta game structure, like you're still playing within the rules of the game. Like this is still a system and you can't say like, you know, land card, I win, right? Like, you know, there still has to, like you, you get there, like with, you know, you still have to fulfill certain requirements to, to win the game and that kind of thing while you are being innovative um, inside of them, like, would you say that you still value to some degree, the rule structure? 
can we throw away all rules and just live in this free society of crazy, you know, thoughts? Or, you know, is there, is it like a mix, right? Is it like, because I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this idea that, you know, there's people who are, you know, are like the system and they, they support, they support it. And they're like really good at like making sure everything functions really well. They're like, the, you know, the engineers or whatever. And then you have like the creative artists who are really good at imagining a new system and figuring out the, the ways to evolve the system and, and make it better. Um, and, and I think like the ideal society sits somewhere in between, you know, using the, the skills of, of both of these groups of people to the, to the, the, the best degree. You, in my mind, characterize that innovative spirit that I think is, I think is an absolute necessity. So I'm curious as, you know, you, you definitely view rules to be bent and to be broken and to be, you know, like, and to be innovated upon, like, do you still like appreciate the system for what it is? Or, you know, like, how do you feel about that? I have a deep, deep appreciation for the rules, especially of magic, because those those rules, which the actual rules, um, the ones that keep us from saying, oh, land, I win. <laughs> um, no, no, really, though. Like, those rules are the whole reason to play. In fact, without the rules, I would have no rules to break. I would have no rules to bend. I would have no rules to, you know, uh, use as a jump rope. <laughs> I, like, I will, the, the whole point is to have a respect for the rules. In fact, that's actually what I'm talking about in my interpretation. The word respect uh, literally means to look again, spect, like spectacles or spectate, like, and then re, meaning again. It means to look again. So to, to it's actually a, a deep respect for the rules that I that I have and that I, that I experiencing and that I, I, I play out and that I share. So it's like without the box, there is no outside the box thinking. It, absolutely. It, the, the goal is not to think outside the box. Therefore I'll burn the box. Cause then you're just, <laughs> and you're not thinking outside the box. You're just thinking outside and you, you know, you could put stuff in a box, you know? So like it, a box actually has uses and even, a bent box can be made into like a raft or something or like a, a paper airplane or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a deep respect for the box. It's not tear it down, burn it, start over. Get, I don't want a box. I want a, I want an elephant. It's not that <laughs> it's okay. This is the, this is the box in, in, in its essence, it's actually, much smaller and less confining than an actual, than it's actually made out to be. It looks like magic has so many rules and so many cards. It's exactly what you're talking about. The real rules, the real essential, what makes where magic stops and cheating starts that line, that line is, is sacred. uh, With if, if cheating were on the menu, none of, the death shadow tricks or, or, and none of that would mean anything. None of it would be, would be interesting if people, if it was just part of magic is now some people cheat and we just deal with it. <laughs> like, like that's like, you know, your point, oh, my, my opponent drew 12 cards this turn and he doesn't want to discard them. That's, that's a bummer. Like if that was, you know, if it was everyone, why even have magic cards, right? Why even have a game? Why even interact? And, um, it's because of, of a value of interaction and a deep respect of the rules that I I I bend them to my will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's like the thing for me is like, and obviously, I you know, t- to some degree, you know, I, I'm definitely, you know, I, I have my opinion on this, and I'm, I'm not like, um. I'm not shy about it, but I, I think for a, for a long time in my life, I think you know, you grow up in, in the, this idea of outside the box thinking is, you know, you hear it all the time. Like, ah, oh, what, what are your ideas are outside the box? And like, everyone wants to hear that. Right. And they're, they're like, and, and I think there's huge value to that. Don't get me wrong at all. But I think one of the things that I've started to appreciate more as I've kind of grown up and learned about more about like life and, 
how everything works is like the rules are also really important and the rules are kind of like, that's what sets us up to have the structure that we can iterate on. And so like those systems are very interdependent, you know, it's like that idea of like, yeah, you need these innovators and creative thinkers, but they're like innovating on, on the structure, right? They're, they're, they're taking what's, what was good from history and they're like, they're, evolving it on yeah that's to me that's like i guess like evolution it's interesting i see like evolution in a lot of things nowadays it's like and and i think this is exactly the case it's like you have this 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 structure of proven structure of like what works and it's like okay now like like any you know with any type of like evolution there's like offshoots and some of them work better and some of them work worse but then you run with the things that work better right and so, like, you're kind of playing out these mini games of evolution every time you, like, brew a deck. It's like, you're like, okay, what, you know, this inter- interaction seems really great, and this interaction seems, like, seems really bad, and, and so you're, like, trying out all these different things, and, like, eventually you find something that where all the pieces come together. But you're kind of, I like, to me, it's kind of like, um, you know, you have, like, you know, the, the Birds of Paradise and Darwin's Birds of Paradise, and it's like, they each evolve to fit that niche. And I think, like, what you're doing with, like, things like the arena and the death shadow is you're, you're finding niches that people didn't know existed and you're like evolving into them and you're becoming like the best thing in this niche. No one knew existed. And you're like taking it to that next level. And like you said, you know, you're inviting people into this world every time you sit down with that deck and play a match with them and they, they have no clue what's going on. Um, and that, yeah, that that's like a powerful thing that, you know, you can just use to your advantage. I, you know, I feel like you did a really good job of kind of talking about how you could apply that to your life and, and why that's important. Is there any other kind of words of wisdom that you would impart, you know, in this vein of, of being innovative and creative and, and, and taking advantage of, uh, of the rules when you can? I'm looking up a word and I, I can't believe I forgot it. And, uh, man. So, yeah, uh, spandrels. Um which I'll just read from the Wikipedia is apparently a triangular space usually found in pairs between the top of an arc and a rectangular frame between the tops of two adjacent arcs or one of the four spaces between a circle within a square. They are frequently filled with decorative elements. But anyways, what ended up happening, spandrels in, I guess, art or construction, um, were people were like, I guess during the Renaissance were all just a totally like the coolest thing you could do was build a big gateway or an archway or these columns or um, maybe this was before the Renaissance. This is probably like in Roman times. This is like a really long time ago. So like that being, okay, I'm not a history guy, but like at one point (laughs) the, uh, at one point, it was very cool to make, like, these big gateways and archways and um, these big columns. And, like, they were all very frilly and very, like, like look at me and stuff like that. And when people – so people were doing that. That was, like, essentially the box. That was, like – I mean, almost literally, that was, like – in fact, to take it literally a box around a circle – creates spandrels where the circle isn't that empty space for a while had gone just unutilized. And it was like, yeah, you know, you gotta, you know, maybe we can try and minimize this like kind of a waste of a space, but if we really want to get the shape that we're looking for, we're going to need to have this kind of stuff here. And then eventually someone, I don't know who it was. He's probably some famous guy that we all know the name of came along and was like, hey, you know what, those are called spandrels now, and we're going to make that space that's being unutilized between the circle and the square, we're going to take that, and we're going to make that beautiful. And in fact, that is going to be the purpose of why we're even building this column, why we're even building this archway in the first place, um, to highlight and to, to really, like, I mean, how dare we say that this is a waste of space or it's to be empty or to, oh, if only we could mitigate it. Like, what if we made it beautiful? There are some people like Google it. It's, there are some really famous 
spandrels that are like seriously beautiful. The only difference was that someone said, hey, we're all looking at this thing. And a lot of people don't really seem to like what they're looking at. And it's this, like, the rules are very clear, like, the box is defined, literally. And there's this this area where we can't seem to, like, no one likes what they're looking at. Well, my God, let's, let's look at it in a good way. Like, let's make it beautiful. Like, let's make it look like something that people want to look at. Oh, thank, thank you for putting spandrels here. You know, like, let's invent the concept of spandrels because it's already in existence the only invention is that we see it as meaningful and we see it as purposed. We see it as uh, beautiful or whatever we want. And that, uh, and, and we're all, we're already always doing this, being intentional with it, respecting the box itself and realizing that it's the space in between that we are. The, the area that calculus seeks to eliminate and define those little spaces of circles and triangles or whatever, the little in-betweens the calculus seeks to eliminate, that area is the undiscovered beauty of this world. And, and, to, and, to, we, and it's not destroy the box or think outside it or fill it in perfectly and fully. Rather, it's to not need a calculus to make everything so certain and so well-defined it's to it's to um, it's to highlight those areas and make them beautiful. See, it's to add those flourishes. It's to add those flourishes in a place where we're not really looking and we don't know what goes there. It's to make those those places beautiful. All right, I like that. And I, I think that's actually like a perfect place to end. So. Thank you uh, for imparting uh, all this great knowledge. It's, it's really like, I, I really enjoyed getting to hear about the, the kind of the, the processes that went in behind the scenes when it comes to these decks, because, you know, they were so outside the box and innovative. And so, like, like you said, you know, going to tournaments, taking them to tournaments and people were just like blown away by what was going on. They didn't really understand it. And I think like that was such like a unique thing to, to like bring to the magic community. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, let me just play like the best deck. Right. And like those decks are pretty easy to, to like approximate and get close to, but it's like, all right, let me play a deck that, you know, maybe the, the advantage isn't, I have like the best creatures for the mana or I have the most synergies, but it's like, I'm bending the rules in a way that people aren't going to expect. And I'm going to take, like that advantage and the advantage of that, you know, interesting interaction to, you know, to its fullest extent. So very cool. Very cool to, to get to hear about all that stuff. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Well, that wraps up another episode of knowledge transfer. As always, you can find new episodes on SoundCloud or on Google play. Please like comment, share, and subscribe. We really like to hear your feedback and has a big effect on how we develop the podcast. In the meantime, we will continue to do our part to provide you stimulating content and exciting discussion. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, keep it cerebral. Everybody's thinking about me.